Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and you are listening to Percolating on Faith, where we talk about smart stuff all the time time. And I always end up feeling smarter afterwards. And then it just kind of fades away. (laughs) (laughs) For all of us. (laughs) Uh, I'm here with your wonderful, your wonderful people, Charmaine and Tony Shabala-Smith. Hello, Charmaine. Hello, Tony. Hi, Carla. Good to be with you always. Same. Good to see you, Carla. And good to be with you. And we are back talking about more theodicies. And um, today we're going to be talking about process theodicy. And I don't know if everybody has listened to all of the stuff about the theodicies. And if you think I'm mispronouncing the word theology, I am not. Theodicy is actually a word. And theodicy actually means what, Tony and Charmaine? So the, the word was coined by the philosopher Leibniz in the 1700s. And it combines two Greek words, theo, God, and dike, just. And it basically is asking the question, how can we justify belief in God given the reality of suffering and evil in the world. So theodicy, a theodicy is a way of responding to that question. Right. It's trying to look at what is, what is the relationship between who we see God as and why or how there is suffering in the world. And there've been lots of different ways of answering that. Um, But one of the things that's pretty consistent with all the different theodicies, ones we've talked about and ones we will talk about is that there's, really kind of four different elements that um, the question gets at. And so if the question is, what is the relationship between God and the suffering and evil found in the world? So there's these four different sub-questions that are part of that. One of them is why are suffering and evil so present in human experience and the world? So like, what's, what's the origins? Second one, why did God create a world in which suffering and evil are even possible? If, and this then is where um, who God is and how God works is, is the focus of some theodicies. The third one is, what does this say about the nature of God? Again, kind of what is the image or the, the nature of how God is at work? And then the fourth is, why doesn't God protect us from evil and suffering or Another form of that might be, where is God when we are suffering? Mm -hmm. So any theodicy is dealing with one or more of those four sub-questions. In in systematic theologies, systematic theology is a uh, kind of a way of uh, somebody constructing Christian belief from beginning to end in a system. And in systematic theology, this this question, this issue typically falls in whatever chapter or section of that theology would be on providence, right? God's, God's presence, care, and activity in the world. And typically in sections on providence, there's a, there's the, the theologian will have to deal with the reality of evil, pain, suffering, and loss in the world. And how does that fit into divine providence? So just so, just so hearers know that if you go looking in a systematic theology, that's commonly the place to look for it in the section on, on providence. So, so that's really what theodicy is about. And we'll, we'll just keep reinforcing that a theodicy is always going to be uh, a construct, right? Um, there's not 
there's not like one divine final <laughs> revealed answer to this question. And so uh, theologians from different kinds of backgrounds work together, work, uh, they, they piece together from scripture and experience and reason and tradition and science. However, they put these pieces together is how they will, uh, will affect how they construct an answer to the theodicy question. So today we're going to be looking at process theodicy, which comes is very uh, much at the heart of process theology. And this theodicy poses the question in a very specific way. And this is um, kind of the uh, trademark maybe of process <laughs> theology and especially the theodicy part of process. And that is, if God is all powerful and all loving, how can God allow suffering and evil? And then the kind of the further explanation of it is an all loving God would not want their creation to suffer. And an all powerful, all loving God could keep that from happening, could keep suffering and evil from happening. So we must then conclude that since there is suffering and evil in the world, that God is not all powerful, but that God is all loving. So that's kind of the question and the answer in um, the process theodicy approach. So uh, maybe a, a place to, to, to go on then from there, say, where does this theodicy come from? And actually uh, the, way it, the way Charmaine just construed it, it's, it can trace itself back to a philosopher and mathematician. Uh, mathematicians are in, in Carla's bailiwick. So <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of the British mathematician philosopher, uh, Albert North Whitehead, 20th century figure. You've yeah, heard of him. Thumbs up. Yeah. Yay, good. Okay. So, so uh, Whitehead is the originator, I guess we'll say the originator of the philosophy that, that process theologians typically rely on. So he, as, as a philosopher and mathematician, he was interested in that branch of philosophy called metaphysics. And uh, traditionally, metaphysics is part of philosophy that wants to explore the nature of reality. What does it mean to be? What, why are there things and so on? That's a philosophical question. It's sometimes called ontology, which is a Greek word for thinking about ontos, being, thinking about the nature of being. But so Whitehead, uh, Whitehead was influenced by modern evolutionary science, as it was understood mid 20th century. And what he came to think was that the whole Western tradition of philosophy and theology was dependent on uh, old Greek understandings of reality based on being, right? Being is sort of a static kind of category. And he, he said, well, that's not a good way to make sense of reality because reality as we now understand it is always in the process of becoming. So that's Evolving. Sort of, right, yeah, <laughs> right. Every, everything's in process. Um, so I don't want to confuse this process with like processed cheese. That's a different, a different category <laughs> of deliciousness. It's, it's not Velveeta. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, this, this process has to do with evolution and the fact that everything really is constantly in motion and changing and becoming, which became his, his trait, his way of trying to describe uh, what this, what reality mm -hmm. is, it's becoming, it's always moving, changing and moving towards something. And so as a, as a philosopher, Whitehead also held that, that this must apply to God too. Right. And so th then what happened was various 
theologians, primarily Protestant theologians, picked up on Whitehead's thought and began to try uh, try it out in terms of uh, ex explaining Christian Christian beliefs about God, creation, and so on. And they 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 found it very they thought applicable to the question of theodicy. So that's where this got started. And so uh, one of the elements there is that since God is still becoming, then people, creatures, um, can have some input into what is becoming, mm -hmm. the, how the world is. Um, so both God and people and the future is all still in a becoming form. Right. God, God and the world or God and the universe are, are, are interrelated and interactive and they affect each other. This was kind of, this has been kind of a key theme in lots of process theology. God is not imagined as outside of this process, but inside it and affected by it. And we'll say more about what God can and can't do here as we go, but this is a starting point for it. So, so be, becoming applies to everything, we'll say. So, so then um, a, a process theodicy, and there's different thinkers here. There's quite a few different thinkers. Most of them, most of them American. This has been a, a theology that's been uh, popular by in, in certain American circles, but process theodicy responds to the problem of suffering and evil by affirming first that God is absolutely good and loving, but is not all powerful. So uh, in terms of that equation, they say this, uh, it, it can't be both X and Y, one of them has to go. And so if we say, if we say X is good and all loving and Y is, is all powerful, then the equation won't work out. And so we have to drop Y. So, um, so that's part of, part of the, you know, part of the, of process theodicy's way of thinking about this. So, so in this theodicy, love, which is God's nature, since God is all loving, this kind of love allows, always allows the freedom to choose and the freedom of self-determination. So things are not predestined. Things are not, um, you know, like a puppeteer, uh, our, our lives and futures are not determined by something else, but love, this love that is natural to God allows us to choose freely and to have self-determination. And so that, that means Carla, that if you, if you step out of your back door in your house in Utah and are bitten by a Western diamondback, uh, diamondback rattlesnake, um, God can't stop that because, the, the rattlesnake is part of the ecosystem. You are part of the ecosystem and the rattlesnake has its own self-determination and you have your own self-determination. And I'm just saying, why don't you check underneath the steps out behind your house? <laughs> I, you know, that's what you can do. <laughs> Wait a second. Even in Utah? I mean, <laughs> just kidding. So in, in other words, God is, is present in the midst of all things, but does not uh, intervene in things at all, right? God is present. Now, God's, we'll say more about how God's presence can affect things, mm -hmm. but, but not in any kind of way. So rattlesnakes, ticks, Carla in the backyard, these things are each part of their own, they have their own integrity as, as beings. And so, uh, like I said, check under the steps. <laughs> so that's, that's part of the love, 
love is the central theme of process theodicy, and yet love is in no way coercive or determ determinative or anything like that. So um, process thought and the theodicies that are derived from it imagine that God is developing with us through this journey as ever more complex forms of life and relationship emerge in the universe. Um, God and the world are interdependent in this model. So this theodicy does not believe that God has a kind of pre-existing end game in mind. Um, like that somehow there's going to be a final uh, overcoming of evil. Process theodicy rejects that idea. And uh, it's an ongoing process. The universe and God are in an ongoing process in which potentially greater and more just forms could evolve depending on how all the partners act in that, in that relationship. So there's many, many possibilities, not a predestined final one. Um, that's a way that the, the system preserves the idea of the freedom and self-determination of creatures. So then there's a question about, so what is this love that God is? What's, what are the, what's the nature? What's the characteristics of it? And so these are very important in a process theodicies because God's love is, is kind of like a magnetic force in the universe and is kind of drawing things to itself. Um, it's present in and to all things, but it's not coercive. So it's not forcing you to come towards it, but it, it's very invitational that, um, but that idea of a, you think of a paperclip and a, and a magnet and um, there's a place at which the paperclip is, doesn't just snap right to the magnet, but it's affected by the force of the magnet and it can slowly move towards the magnet, um, but it could just stay where it is as well. So it's, it's the sense that um, it's invitational. God's love is in, invitational, not coercive. And so that means that, you know, uh, in this system, free, freedom, freedom and the integrity of things in the system is really important in process thought. And uh, uh, loving God then gives, gives with quote, quotation marks around it, um, gives things uh, the freedom to choose and grow without any kind of compulsion. Um, so now the kind of power God has is not any sort of domination or power over or power to tinker or anything like that. God's... <laughs> God, God's, God's only power is the persuasive or invitational character of divine love. So God doesn't force God's self on anything or anyone in the system, but always, but always kind of beckons or invites to greater possibilities, right? So um, there's some process thinkers like Schubert Ogden in his book, The Point of Christology, who would argue that the only literally true statement we can make about God is the statement, God is love. And Ogden, I think, means that literally. God is love. In this universe, there's this thing called love, and it coexists with other things. It's different from them. Um, but if he would say everything else you would ever try to say about God is, is purely metaphorical. That's the only literally true statement. So, so that's an image of what love and power look like in this. And so then how does this love work? So God's love or God as love means that God shares in creation suffering this this love 
wants to be in and through what's happening. So in this way, all suffering affects God. And in process thought, God is a fellow sufferer or, or our co-sufferer. So when we are in times of struggle, when there's evil going on, um, this, this, the awareness is that God is with us in that and that God's love gives us freedom to respond in new ways. So then, you know, uh, in process thought, how, what does it mean that God is creator? And here it's not any kind of traditional view of creation where, where God has said, let there be and things are. Um, it means that God and pre-existing stuff have been in a relationship forever and God's presence, God's mind has lured or, or uh, invited things into you know, fuller, fuller and fuller degrees of development and, and growth. Um, along with this, though, there always was the possibility for evil and destruction. So that's not something God can simply change, right? Uh, it's part of the process. Um, process. As, long, as long as there's choice, there's possibility. Right, right. And of evil or greed or yeah. hate or whatever. And then also like for, for the non-human creation, the possibility of extinction and uh, though increasingly possibility for the human creation as well. But, you know, like the dinosaurs and stuff like that, the, the, the God does not stop meteorites from hitting the Yucatan Peninsula and wiping out, you know, utterly changing the, the face of things by wiping out vast scores of dinosaurs in whatever era that was. Not one I was living in, Carl. I just want to reinforce that. But, you know, it was a long time ago. <laughs> You sure? I'm pretty sure, Charmaine. <laughs> so, um, so process thought, going back to Whitehead and then process thinkers, they they have rejected the classical Christian doctrine of creation, that creation was uh, creatio ex nihil, creation out of nothing. Um, that the whole of being came, the whole of existence came into being out of a primordial, not a primordial thing, but out of nothing, right? Uh, they reject that idea. Um, and so there's a, the sense in which uh, process thought is a little more dependent on something like Plato, the philosopher Plato, whose view of the origin of things is more of a making. Like uh, Plato had this idea that there was a divine sort of mind he called the, 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 demi, the demiurge or craftsman, how you would translate it from Greek, that the craftsman was slowly taking pre-existing stuff and, and kind of forming it into new forms and uh, in, say in kind of a long artistic process. Um, so that's uh, process views of creation seem to me more akin to that than to some of the classical Christian ideas. And then also along with us that the, the, uni the universe um, just simply runs by its own laws and principles and integrity, its own processes. Um, and God doesn't micromanage the universe in a process thought. Like God is there, present, embedded in it, but not as a not <laughs> not as a micromanager. <laughs> so uh, instead, you know, God's love draws the universe towards possibilities for ever greater levels of fulfillment and development, which may happen, which may not happen, depending on how the systems respond. Right. So, so there's 
a kind of a, a freedom, but also a real open-endedness uh, in this in this system. So we have just a couple more of the kind of characteristics of this theodicy. Um, Meliori, who we've talked about many times, um, says of process theodicy, there are some things God is unable to do in this theodicy, such as prevent the Holocaust or stop a runaway car from killing a child in its path. And that's on page 133. And um, so Meliori is, is um, articulating one part of a process theodicy, the side that says, well, God isn't all powerful. God can't intervene, doesn't intervene in a number of different ways. So it's not the that God doesn't care, but rather that God's power is limited in this theodicy. So this honors the integrity of everything that's other than God. It lets it be what it is. Um, but it, and, and that means that there's the risk or possibility of negative outcomes, uh, of tragedy, of disaster. And then only in this way, according to process thinkers, can there be anything like genuine freedom in the world? So that's an important element. And so finally, and, and, and we'll, Charmaine will give examples of this later, like in terms of prayer in, in a process of time. So it, it's really a way of attuning oneself to divine love uh, or, or choosing to move towards God's hopes for a more just or loving future uh, or joining with God uh, to be co-creators of that, uh, co-creators of and co-sufferers for that future. Um, prayer, prayer here, I think, is more like partnering, really. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Prayer wouldn't, wouldn't be asking for specific interventions or anything in this, in this theology or, or specific actions from God. Um, because in this theology, God doesn't intervene or force God's self into the system that way. That God's not outside of the system. God's in it, sharing the journey with us, but simply is not not a, like I said before, micromanager. And so, so I mean, this is kind of an overview of, the, of process theodicy. Um, and, and if you find yourself interested in this theology and theodicy, uh, some names that you might want to explore would be John Cobb. Or, or Catherine Keller or Marjorie Suhaki. Uh, David Griffin. Schubert Ogden that Tony mentioned earlier, and Bob Mesley, who is Community of Christ and uh, has written some very <laughs> foundational uh, books that are very accessible mm -hmm. on, on process theology. So yeah, so there's, there's plenty of places to go on that and if you want to read more about it. So, so we'll pause here, Carl, and see if there's questions before we go on to how would you preach a process theodicy and how do you pray a process theodicy? So questions. So yeah. Um... In the past, in the past, we've talked about theodicies. You've talked about some of their shortcomings. Mm. And I don't know if this one has like, uh, I, you haven't mentioned a lot of their shortcomings. Of this <laughs> and does this one have any shortcomings or is it simply perfect as it is? <laughs> I, I haven't found a theodicy yet that, that answers all the hard questions. Yeah. And, and actually the, one of the ones I would say with this theodicy is that that question that it asks at the beginning you know, if God is all loving and all powerful, how can there be evil? And how, you know, why hasn't God eliminated evil? If God is all loving and all powerful, therefore God must just be all loving. Uh, for me, there's presuppositions 
put into that question mm -hmm. that make it hard to address because um, because loving someone powerfully does not mean that we would take away suffering, that would we would take away um, those difficult times in their lives. I think about um, parents who sometimes have to let their children um, suffer consequences so that they can grow, so that they can become more wise, so that they can see the, the results of their actions. And so in that way, suffering at, by its very nature is not necessarily evil or bad or should be eliminated. In fact, it's part of our growing process. Um, and so I think that there's that a premise there that somehow an all loving God who, who had all the power would take away all suffering. And, and I don't think that that, that is necessarily true. Um, I mean, I think for many of us, it's times when we've really had to struggle that the, the best growth has happened, the deepest growth, the deepest understanding. And yeah, that, think of your classes with us, Charlotte. Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's anyhow. Uh, so, you know, there's that kind of thing that um, we don't have to necessarily think of all suffering as evil and therefore um, something that should have been eliminated if God had power. So, uh, I think that's a false equation, a false equality there that um, God being all loving and all powerful would have gotten rid of all suffering mm -hmm. and evil. Um, because, I mean, that's another part of humanity is that we have in us both, right? We have in us goodness and we have evil. We have this, and sometimes there's more of one and more of the <laughs> other. And, uh, you know, that's part of what is the nature of humanity. So this would kind of rule that out as well, I think. Yeah. And, it, you know, uh, I, the theologian thinking about this would say a couple of other weaknesses of this whole approach. One is that um, one has to be very careful about letting an externally derived philosophy tell Christian faith what it can and can't say. And I think that's what's going on here. That's a, I think that's a problem. In other words, Whitehead creates a metaphysics that are interesting and, and connect certain kinds of dots. But then if you say, ah, we're going we're gonna to filter Christianity through that philosophical system and anything that doesn't come out is, is wrong. And anything, anything that doesn't fit it right. uh, that's gets sheared away. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, that has always been a, a risk and a danger in Christian theology. And I think this, this particular one, uh, that's, a, that's a really serious risk with it. Um, in other words, you... We, we let Whitehead tell us what power is and what Whitehead tell us what love is. And then, and then we say, well, therefore, in Christian, in Christian thought, Christian faith, Christian theology, we can't, we can't say X, we can't say Y, and can't say Z. And it's like, well, says who? I guess says Whitehead, but why? And so that's one, one, other, one thing. And then another, another problem is that if you take this system seriously, it doesn't solve the problem of evil. It eternalizes it, right? If there's no, if there's no imagined or hoped for uh, final, uh, final resolution to the problem of evil, um, then that means evil just coexists with good forever and ever, and it's an ongoing struggle, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> and it's like that. 
that's very unsatisfying, I would say. Um, but anyway, those are some weaknesses I would see. And I think one other one that is a little bit more hard to nail down is that it can, um, it can deny uh, people's experience of God intervening in their life in some way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it doesn't really allow for miracles. It doesn't allow for those kinds of experiences that um, have, you know, where people have felt God's love, but also um, God's action in a way that has made a huge difference in their life. And so this can, it doesn't have to, but sometimes can demean uh, those kinds of experience in people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be the, the other part of it is that, you know, the long Judeo-Christian um, tradition has this sense of God being with us, yes, but also acting to help us uh, know who God is and to know how to, to live better in the world, uh, you know, Christ being an example. So I think it kind of mutes that part of the, the story. Yeah. And in people's story in particular. Also, I can say that there are, there are Christian theologians like William Temple, a famous Anglican theologian, archbishop, philosopher of religion, and so on, who read and understood Whitehead, but uh, took him a totally different way and did not, and, and saw saw where to say, mm, I don't think so here, <laughs> right? And so- More nuanced approach. Yeah, more nuanced approach who, who was able to use the, the good things from Whitehead's philosophy, but also push back on things uh, Whitehead claimed or said about God and so on that didn't really fit uh, uh the best that we know of God's revelation in Christ. So, so, but Hey, you know what? Every theodicy we have gone through and the one we will go through in our, our final one in the series, they all have weaknesses because they're all constructs, right? Right. They're not final answers. They're ways that people construe uh, the resources of tradition and experience, scripture and, mm -hmm. and uh, reason to try and deal with the real problem of uh massive human and now ecological suffering how do we how do we think about that if we believe in a god of love and a god of grace and power so so any other questions carla that come up for you uh i don't think so i i think that you've done a really great job of describing what a process theodicy is and i i appreciate hearing the shortcomings too because you know people who are listening to this you know, they might jump on the bandwagon and be like, oh, this is exactly right. This is exactly right. And if they can't see that there are things that don't quite work out exactly right, then um, they might just have blinders on. So <laughs> I think it's super important to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, right, right. <laughs> That's one of the reasons we like to do, to talk about theodicies is that um, they all allow us <laughs> to, to look at our own experiences and struggles and say, hmm, where can we find God in this? And um, where can we seek God's help mm -hmm. in this? And, and not all of them are going to, you know, one is not going to fit every situation in your life. And right, so some yeah. of these may uh, illuminate some struggles, 
and not others. And then another time in your life, it, this one might fail you completely and another one <laughs> might might take the, its place as being something that's helpful. So I think having a, a at least a handful of working theodicies um, can be very helpful to people and and allow them and God a lot of room to, yeah. to be at work in the world. And maybe we can see all these that we've been doing as like tools in the toolbox, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, some tools work for some things, right? And so uh, rather than a one size fits all. So, so but hey, well, now we'll talk about how do you preach from this perspective and then, then some suggestions on how do you pray from this perspective. And so we, we, each time we start with this reminder that actually we don't preach a theodicy, right? Um, to, to put it very simply, in the life of the church, we preach the good news that is of and about Jesus and the reign of God and God's justice. That's the, the focus of preaching. Um, but, you know, you're, you're always going to have people in a congregation who are struggling with, with just horrible things in their life or dealing with, with pain or loss or whatever. So you have to be careful in the pulpit about trying to give big theoretical, theological, we call them elixirs, you know, like this will cure everything. This will fix everything <laughs> for you. No, 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 no. We don't do that in the pulpit, right? Um, so as a particular lens, uh, this theodicy uh, would reject any promises of a specific divine acts that somehow will bail people out, right? And so, uh, so especially out of situations of trauma or, or suffering, that from this perspective, you're not going to make promises like that from the pulpit. Um, that would be dangerous to do. And actually other, other theodicies we've covered, we'd say the same thing. Um, instead, the focus here would be on on the comfort of God's co-suffering presence with us in the world, that God, God is God is here uh, with us in the midst of whatever is happening and won't abandon us, but is always there. Um, and that, that there's the hope that that the combination of goodness and love that are in the world and the universe and our responsiveness to them might open up unforeseen outcomes, right? So, um, situations of suffering, loss, are horrible, and we don't ever want to say that this happened for a reason, uh, that, that somehow this was planned for, for us, right? Um, but then every situation of suffering and evil, we would want to affirm that there are possibilities beyond that we can't see. And so process, process thought would always say that there's movement and change and becoming that that we, we can't yet see in the, the in the, the situation of our present moment. Um, another thing is that a process theodicy would work from the faith assumption that God is sharing in and experiencing the world's suffering and always yearning for us to develop and grow in love. I mean, that's, that's a very worthwhile thing to uphold, that, that uh, we have a partner in our journeying and struggling that's always beckoning or, or calling us to pursue new possibilities with God. Um, another, another aspect here is that everything is in process, everything. And therefore, in this, in this theodicy, the future is entirely open. It's open to novelty, meaning totally new things that neither we nor God have yet imagined. <laughs> so uh, that, that can, can move us away from the idea of, of predetermined outcomes that somehow we have to get to, and if we don't get to them, we somehow failed. Um, massive suffering like the Shoah or the killing fields of Cambodia or racism or misogyny and so on, these affect God too, as well as the whole world process. So 
Um, in this, with this theodicy, one thing that can happen potentially is that, that f- feeling, feeling the suffering of others and accepting that God feels the suffering too could awaken deeper compassion in us. That's a possibility here. And I think one of the places that I've heard this most is the idea of, um, in this theodicy, of looking to the next generation. What is the world we want to create for the next generation? And so the awareness of the evil and the shortcomings of our time, of our cultures, of our world, create in us an, an awareness, but also a compassion for the next generation. What can we do? How can we um, make love more the, the landscape in which the next generation will live? Uh, so that's a way that that mm-hmm. works in us. And then I mean, final suggestion here for preaching from this perspective is that, you know, it's, it's belief that the future is completely open and non-predetermined means that our, that our actions do matter and can create or co-create with God or affect different future, future possibilities. I think that is a very positive way to go with this. That is, that is um, especially currently as we struggle with the reality of the climate crisis, uh, it's, I think, very important to uphold that, that we, whatever differences, whatever things we do uh, to stop that can make a difference uh, globally and environmentally. And so, um, it's not a pre- predetermined end that they will, but they can. And so if, if I can do something that will make potentially a different, better future, then there's a kind of an ethical imperative in that, that I ought to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those are some ways to preach from this perspective. Right. And there's the, a kind of vibrancy and hope in it too, mm-hmm. that I think um, can, can free up people to, to not be just um, under the cloud of doom. <laughs> that's been pretty easy to be under Mm -hmm. and to say, wait, how I think, how I act in the little ways makes differences for what the future can be. And and one other thing I I just thought of here is that from a process perspective, you never long for the good old days, No, right? Because because the good old days weren't, they were, they were, they were in a process of changing and moving and becoming too. So we have to be careful not to glorify a sacred past so much that somehow the future couldn't ever be that good. there's, there are endless open possibilities for where we can go from where we've been. So that's another possibility here. So any questions, Carla, about the, how to preach process theodicy? No, but I really appreciated that last point that you said that there's no such thing as the good old days that really helps to kind of cement in my mind what this actually means. So that was very helpful for me. Like moving forward. It's all about the moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you really want to go back to junior high? (laughs) Well, not me. Well, no, but I will say that the older I get, (laughs) the more I think, gosh, I wasn't very kind to my younger body, was I? (laughs) (laughs) There is that. Yes. So what are some ways to pray a process, the Odyssey? And just as, as I was trying to write these out and trying to keep all those ideas in my head, I realized that um, praying for help is not is not kind of foundational for this. And it, it kind of helped me realize how much um, that may be part of my language at different times. So that was an interesting ex- exercise. So here's, here's some that I think will capture uh, a process theodicy. 
Loving God, I sense your call to invest in the world so that justice and peace for all can affect the lives and relationships of more and more people. That's kind of like a beginning sentence, you know, and you could go from there. Another is God in this time of suffering and pain. There is comfort in knowing that you are here and living it with me. May I be attuned to your love and give it room to bring hope and healing in each day, even or especially when things are difficult. Um, and another, God, I am so angry at the injustice of fill in the blank you know, for whatever it might be. I want to use what I know of your love to replace hatred with hope in this situation and to bring justice in this unfinished world. Another, uh, as I look to Christ and recognize his ways of connecting us to your creative and transforming love, may my heart and mind become more attuned to it and give it endless places to take root in me. And then naming God love with us. So starting it with love with us. Thank you for accepting me as I am and inviting me and all creation to face the challenges of our time and to be open to the unimagined possibilities. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> <laughs> so those are some ways that this theodicy could enrich our prayer lives. And um, it's far more of thinking of what, what is God's love wanting to be a part of in the world? And how can I attune to that? So I think it's really interesting. You said, I, and I think I heard you right. You said help is not part of the process. The well, because right. When we ask for help, we're asking God to intervene or to do something specific in us or for us or to us. Right. And though uh, people who with a process theology or theodicy may, may ask that it's, um, it's something I, I wanted to make sure I stayed away from because it kind of takes away from the, the impulse here to not assume that God um, can make things happen, but that we with God can help things to become. So it was, it was a good shift inside of me to have to make. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be kind of hard. I mean, I don't know how everybody prays, but it seems like most people when they pray and, and you know, there's a whole lot of ways to think about asking God for something. Are you asking God for God's help? Or are you asking yourself to be more aware, you know, whatever Exactly. But there's almost in a lot of prayers I hear there's, there's that help aspect. Yeah. So that's super yeah. interesting to think that it's, it shies away from that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and that's why I think all, you know, exploring these theodicies can actually expand our understanding of God and um, add some, uh, some more uh, facets to it, some other dimensions to it, and maybe help us realize where we are in ruts with our understanding of God or prayer or what, what we might be called to do or be in the world. So I, I, it is fun. It's kind of a something to, to think about challenging yourself to. Yeah, and I suppose with this, with this theodicy, as with the protest theodicy we did a couple sessions back, there's an ultra high level of human responsibility for mm -hmm. the future that's assumed here. Um, 
And while that's frightening, it's not, it's not uh, unreal. <laughs> you know, in other words, we, there's a sense in which we, we really ought to imagine that the future, we have extreme responsibility for the kind of future we create. So, so there's a, as I mentioned, there's an, kind of an ethical imperative in this for taking seriously what's happening and what ought to be different. Well, this has been, as always, just fascinating to, to see where I fit in to this process, the Odyssey, and see where I really am uncomfortable with it. And I I just enjoy, um, and like you said earlier, Charmaine, like expanding my own understanding of God through this. So that's just been super important to me. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to say that you weren't able to say? Um, I appreciate the image of God as our co-sufferer. It's not the only image of God I, I would, would have, but I think that's particularly helpful, especially in moments where, where I, as a minister, have to deal with the horrible suffering others may be experiencing. And in my own life, I've had to deal with it myself at different times. So to know, to know that I'm not somehow abandoned in uh, an, uh, an isolated universe somewhere, but that there is one who is there suffering with me is actually uh, helpful. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the, the forward-looking part of this and that there isn't judgment on people who are suffering um, or who have um, had, had evil uh, in their lives in some way, however you want to define that. But I think that's, that's really helpful for people who may have grown up with a lot of, of, of guilt of not, of not being enough and that somehow they should have turned out differently or they should think differently or uh, their faith should be whatever, you know, different. Um, this, this allows for all the parts of our lives, um, the successes and the failures to be part of the becoming that, that, uh, that God is a part of. And just because there's something bad happening in our lives does not mean God has deserted us. In fact, God is there trying to help us figure out how to let love affect it in ourselves. So I think that's, that's a very positive piece of this in a world where there's so much guilt and shame being passed around. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for your knowledge on this. And thank you for sharing that knowledge. I really appreciate it. And I think that we have one more theodicy to go. Yes. Uh, our, our last one will be uh, on liberation. liberation theodicies. And we say theodicies there because liberation theology is a, ought to be plural. There's feminist, mujerista, uh, African-American, uh, First Nations, uh, Min Jung from Korea. There's all kinds of, of liberation theologies, but they share some common features when it comes to the theodicy question. So that's what we'll deal with next time. Wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. As always, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate you too. You've been wonderful. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Project Zion Podcast is a ministry of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Community of Christ. 
The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.